Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources that remind you, you don't mom alone. In this episode number 253, I have the pleasure of bringing back popular guest and my friend, Kat Armstrong. The enemy is the one who's telling us we're not enough. We don't have enough. It's not the right time. We got to clean up, shape up, gear up, get more, be ready to serve. The enemy is the one turning up his nose at our schedules, our bank accounts, our emotional strength. Like Satan's the one that's trying to hold us back from giving from what we do have. And we have to remember that Jesus runs his currency on love, not on excess, not on more. Jesus runs his economy on the currency of love. And so while you and I may be obsessed with surplus and cheering for people giving out of all the more, Jesus values those of us who are giving out of our emotional and financial poverty. And so we don't, we may not have a lot to offer, but we can give him everything. And with Jesus, it's more than enough. If you're a longtime listener of the show, or maybe you're someone to go back in the archives, you may remember a conversation I had with Kat Armstrong two years ago on the topic of motherhood, career, and identity. It was episode 171. So many of you reached out to me about how that show shifted your perspective on that whole topic. Well, we're going to do some more work today, this time on some barriers that are holding back women of faith. And Kat covers a lot of more of this in her new book, No More Holding Back, that releases in July. Today, we start off with a story of Kat in seminary when she had to wrestle with the question, can a woman learn too much about Jesus? And that takes us to the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Kat also shares some harder parts of her story, some things that have happened in the last couple years, things that I can relate to, and how often a barrier we can hold on to is one of not having enough time, resources, emotional energy. And like she said in that last clip, when we give all that we have with Jesus, that is more than enough. And she points us back to Mark 12 and the story of the widow's might giving out of her place of poverty. Okay, so much goodness coming your way. All of it made possible because of this month's sponsor, Jelly Telly. A few weeks ago, I told you all about Jelly Telly, the ad-free subscription video app for Christian kids. But did you know that Jelly Telly also creates children's books that help your kids grow in faith? Well, they've got board books, picture books, activity books, middle grade books, and coming soon, the Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids. It's the first ever storybook Bible written by VeggieTales and What's in the Bible creator, Phil Vischer. We love him. In the Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids, each story is vividly illustrated and includes a family connection plus other bonus content that connects the stories, allowing you to engage your kids in gospel-led conversations while you read the Bible. Right now, Jelly Telly is offering a special pre-order deal. If you visit laughandlearnbible.com and use the code DMA to pre-order the Bible, you get it for just $9.99. That's 50% off. And you get a free download of Read and Color the Gospels, a 64-page Bible sampler. Your kids can color as you read together. And a sample of the audio Bible narrated by the one and only Phil Vischer. Pre-order the Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids today, and you can begin a fun-filled journey through the Bible with your family. Visit laughandlearnbible.com and use that coupon code DMA to find out more. All right, let's get to my chat with Kat. Here we go. Hey, Kat, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Hey, Heather, I'm so glad that we can talk today. Oh, man, your episode from two years ago, the most listened to of of all the history. Stop it. Yeah. What? Women need more insight into who God made us to be and what he's assigning us to do. And you just opened a conversation, I think, in my little community that hadn't been open yet. So thank I you. Can't, I can't even wrap my mind around that, Heather. <laughs> what well, are you talking about? I think because the show was God-centered mom for so long, I think that the expectation 
was a view of motherhood and a box that I never intended. And so when you came on and we had an open conversation of motherhood and identity and career, it just opened this dialogue that I think moms have been feeling guilty that they had identity and career outside of motherhood that you kind of freed them. And so then they felt free to share. And I think people re-listened to the episodes. If y'all haven't listened, it's from two years ago in June. I'll put a link in the show notes. It, It was really helpful. So I think you're leading the way on a lot of things when it comes to us women and ministry. So, oh my goodness, Heather, trailblazer, going to make me cry over here. You know, the thing about trailblazing is that you fall so many times along the way mm. because, mm. you know, anytime you're innovating or trying to figure things out or willing to talk about something that you're like, I think we should talk about this. But I don't know <laughs> how to talk about it. And I got to go to the scriptures. We, we fumble around in it. And that's yeah. okay. That's that's what the Christian life is about. We're trying to figure it out together. Well, and I'm just thankful God made all kinds of people, all yes. kinds of people. So, you know, I sometimes talk about Enneagram and some people get mad at me. But I, as a four, am thankful for, I've gone to your Enneagram talk that Polish did, but that you're an eight, right? Oh, yes. I think, in fact, my friends make fun of me that I'm probably a wingless eight. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to have a wing. I'm trying really hard. No, trying no, really trying. Hard, but no trying. I think I'm just square and eight. We need you, though. We need you to be that one who's seeing injustice and, and calling it out and speaking up. Because when you speak up, a thousand other women feel empowered to speak up. I hope so. I mean, that's thank you for saying that. I hope so. I mean, that's what we're both trying to do, right? We're trying to encourage and equip women with the tools they need to navigate navigate our world. Yeah. And okay, we've just jumped into it, but there are some gals that haven't listened to that episode and they don't know anything about your family. Would you introduce them to your precious family? Yes. Uh, my family dynamic has changed a lot in the last yeah. two years since we spoke, right? Yeah, and so- yeah. So the folks who live with me include my husband, Erin. We've been married for 17 years this year. My son, Caleb, who's a kindergartner. He's finished up kindergarten in a couple weeks, and he's six. And then my sweet mom, Noemi, she lives with us now. My father tragically passed away two years ago. So God is just redeeming our family story in part because she's living with us now, and she's amazing. So fun to live with. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's my family. And you and I shared, we both lost our dads within months of each other and uh, in different ways, but it's an important relationship. And so the loss of a father, it matters. And I know you and I didn't get to process it much the last time we talked because it was so fresh for you. Um, So before we even get into our topic, how has that grief journey been for you? What has God been teaching you along the way? Yeah, you're so right that God gives us people in our lives who've gone before us, even in, in, in the grief of losing a parent. My, my best friend and sister-in-law, Lee Armstrong, um, had lost both of her parents. And I journeyed with her just as a friend. But now I see so much comfort in her um, loving me through this process. You know, last time we talked, Heather, I was straight up numb. I mean, yeah. I just couldn't, yeah. my brain could not compute my father attempted to take his life and on several, he had tried before, um, but he, he wasn't successful in May of 2017, but he, as a result of the wounds he inflicted on himself, he did pass away a couple weeks later. And I remember watching some of your Instagram posts, how your community of faith was loving you through losing your father and could just resonate with every single moment you were posting about not being able to get through a day without the help of other Christian people Mm -hmm. that were praying, like lifting up your arms, bringing meals. We felt that. The last two years have been really hard. I just got back into therapy after taking a break for a couple of years. And it is like the intent is to work through some of my grief. And I don't know what phase I'm in. I mean, grief is very, very unpredictable. I like, I Google the chart all the time. Like, am I back in the anger phase? Like, where am I? And it comes in waves. The strangest things will make me cry. I'll go to Walmart and see an older gentleman that that has like the same frame as my dad. Yes. And he'll just be putting Coca-Cola in his shopping cart and I'll straight up lose it. And I'll have to go to the car and like go home and not get my shopping done. And then big holidays come 
like Father's Day or his birthday and or Christmas and I'll go, that was weird. I don't feel sad today. Why? And then I feel guilty because I don't feel sad. I mean, it's- there's so much buildup. Like, I think I'm going to be really sad on Father's Day. And then yep. there's more grief that happens leading up to it than the actual day. So, yeah, I get yeah. that. Yeah, I had literally yeah. had the moment in the grocery store last week. It was it just mm. threw, I, I thought, well, I haven't had any of those feelings. And then all of a sudden I see this little man. And I'm thinking, I'm about to follow this guy around the grocery store yeah. <laughs> like a yeah. crazy stalker person. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I know. I It is grief is very, very strange. And you definitely need people who have gone before you and who can when you say, did you feel this before? And they're like, yeah, that's totally normal. Or yes, it's OK to feel that. And they make space for it. The fact that you are going to therapy, that takes intention. That takes mm-hmm. intention. Yeah, it's interesting the whole timing because it wasn't just maybe weeks or months later after his passing and being able to come to grips with reality that that happened, that that wasn't a bad dream that did happen, that I felt the shift in my spirit to act on some things that the book specifically that's coming out in a couple of weeks is a result of me going, we don't know what life has in store for us. And I've, I've felt this in my soul that I should put some of my pen to paper about some of my experiences in life. And a lot of it had to do with his passing. And anytime the publishing houses would ask me, you know, why, why now? Why is this project so important to you right now? I would say, you know, my father just passed and I'm like reevaluating life, Mm -hmm. every inch of it, uh, what I'm going to do with the years I've got here Mm -hmm. and how I can bring God glory. So I can say that that's been some of the redeemable parts of the grief process is that I needed a project to throw myself into to work out some of my grief. Mm, Yeah, I hadn't thought through that, but that is such a motivator to do the work of writing a book. And some would look at you and say, wow, that cat, she just has it all together. She's running this successful ministry to (laughs) young business professionals, women and loving pastor's wife and supporting her mom and raising her sweet son. And then she writes this book. But I get a little insider glimpse into some Mm -hmm. of what went into (laughs) this. It wasn't easy writing this book, right? (laughs) Like writing books, are it's hard. No matter who you are, it is hard. Tell us about that. It's been brutal. (laughs) It's been brutal. Yeah. I mean, the Instagram post, I did bring people along in the journey a little bit. And I've been real transparent with my friends and anyone who asks me to tell them that I had to rewrite this book three times. And the Mm -hmm. third time I rewrote the book, I I had to hire a coach and man, did I need her. Mm -hmm. And I should have hired her from the beginning, honestly, because of my skill level. So publishing houses are looking for all sorts of different factors when they're looking for new voices to publish. And it's not just about what you do for a living and the message you have and how you want to steward it. A lot of it is your skill level. And they know that you can work on that over time. But we laugh now, my, all of my editors, whoo, I put them through the ringer. <laughs> and I think that hopefully they'll be okay with me sharing this. I, I know that they will that my skill level was below average when it comes to writing. And I had to work really hard and I would send in a lot of chapters and they would come back to me and they would say, try again. And they weren't mean. They were so gentle, so kind. They really coached me up. I cannot tell you how valuable my editors have been. They were incredible. Can't say enough about them. I want you to use them. Yes, please. (laughs) But that the issue was me. And my writing skills, and I should have been writing more leading up to this process. Mm -hmm. And I think the simple part was getting the words on paper because they've been in my heart for a decade. I I should have gotten them out earlier, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I also should have been working on my the actual skill of writing. So I'm leaving in a couple weeks to go to a writer at five day writers retreat. I'm going to the thing with Beth Moore and Jonathan Merritt in Houston in a couple months. Like I really am going to be intentional about working on my skills. But yeah, you're right. Like listeners need to know that, that it was a year, a year of me rewriting my book three times. And there was a point in my career where they were saying, if if you don't rewrite this again in 30 days, we got to really talk about your future, which, you know, I mean, it was terrifying. Wow. Um, But you know, it's done. It's coming out in a couple of weeks. It's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. It's so fun to see you posting it at Target and all the places um, that it's out uh, or pre-orders are 
out. Um, I've read the intro and I all that work is worth it. Uh, it's an introduction that's labeled, Why Are You Even Here? And I feel like that's important for you to share the story because we want to know, why does this message matter to you? Why has it been in your heart for a decade? Why are you even on the podcast talking about it? Yeah, I mean, the simple answer is that the progress we have made to dignify women as image bearers of God is not enough. Yeah. I mean, that like that is what is motivated me to write. It's throughout my story. I sense this to be true. We have made progress. Glory to God. I'm so grateful. But the progress we've made is not enough. We've got we've got to keep moving towards elevating women's voices, reminding all of us that women are human. And because they are, they're made in the image of God. And we all have something to contribute to make sure all of our sisters in the faith are dignified and have value in the church, in society, in their home, you name it. And there are so many forces of evil working against us that would love to um, kill still and destroy us and to take away our dignity. But yeah, I was I was asked that question, why are you even here? And, and I was asked in a really mean way. It's left a mark on my life. Do you want me to tell people about this? Yes, please. Yeah, the, the, the story that the book opens up on is a, an interaction I had in a seminary class. And so I'll be the first to tell you I know what it's like to have my brothers in Christ in my corner. I really do. I know what it's like to have men cheering me on. That's been the majority of my story. There's just been a few exceptions to the rule. And one of those exceptions left a mark on me. I was sitting in a seminary class. The seminary brought up the topic of women learning about Jesus, not not preaching, not teaching, not leading, learning. And I was all about it. I mean, that's why I was there at seminary. I spent eight years getting a two-year degree. So I was super committed <laughs> to this uh, learning process. So I, it's like my hand went up before my heart even caught up with my brain. And I raised my hand and I confessed to the whole class, I am scared to learn too much about Jesus because I'm a woman. And as soon as I said it, I thought, why? Why would you say that? That's so, it's not nonsensical. That's nonsense. Like, I'm an image bearer of God. I can't learn too much about Jesus. I'm supposed to apply my whole mind to learning about God for the rest of my life. But that was my truth at the moment. And I didn't have a lot of time to process because one of the other students in the class actually started pointing his finger at me and, and raising his voice and cautioning, warning me. And he said, just stop, just stop. You know, at this point, you're like, I'm getting yelled at by a classmate. I don't even know what to do right now. Mm -hmm. I was in total shock, but he basically affirmed my fears and he said women can learn too much about mm -hmm. Jesus. And when they learn too much about Jesus, they become a threat to the local church and to the institution of marriage. Wow. A threat of what? A threat of what? <laughs> like what's going to happen if we know. learn too much about Jesus? What could we possibly do? You know, I didn't get a chance to ask I him. I mean, goodness. That's a fear-based reaction that he had. For sure. And you know what I learned, what I realized later is that he and I really shared theology and we really shared that viewpoint. I was just coming at it from a different way because mm -hmm. I was scared. And so I had the same fears he did mm -hmm. that women could learn too much. And so he just voiced to me back to myself what yes. I believed. Mm -hmm. But I guess hearing him say it to me was like, whoa, no, women can't learn too much about Jesus. And my professor, thank God, interrupted, silenced him, affirmed my, you know, presence in class. And then the professor said, don't stop. Don't stop. Don't ever stop pursuing God. And then he called for a bathroom break. I'm like sprinting to the bathroom to try to hide my ugly cry. And the student, he followed me to the bathroom and he got one foot in that door. And he said, why are you even here? And Wow. I, I didn't know how to answer him. I mean, I said something like to learn about Jesus, you know, while I was crying. And I look back now, it was like a George Costanza moment. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I didn't have anything good to say in the moment. And if I could just go back in time and right, right. now that I've processed it and done some theological work on what I do believe about women and learning. And I would go back and calmly and kindly say to him, you know, women who love God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength are a threat to egos. They're a threat to some power structures. They're a threat to the enemy, but they're not a threat to my marriage. And I think my husband would tell you, Aaron, he would say the fact that Kat likes to read theology books or learn more about the Bible has only benefited our family. 
Right. But he's also a really secure dude. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Really secure in his manhood and who he is. And then I think that our church would tell you, although I'm not in any leadership position at our church, that the fact that I learn more about God benefits the body of Christ mm-hmm. and on the local level and universally. And I think I think that dude was wrong. He was real wrong. And so was I at the time to wonder. But that, yeah, the whole book, you know, it starts with that. People read the intro. Everybody's reaction is, oh, no, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, some people want to hold my, he, they're like, hold my earrings. I want to defend your honor. And yeah. pretty much everyone's like, what's his name? And <laughs> the truth is, I don't know his name and he's not really the point. <laughs> and, you know, loving God with all is the point. And now I don't have any fears about pursuing God fully. And so that's the title of the book, No More Holding Back. I'm not holding anything back anymore. It's tough, though. I'm still, I still fight those urges. When I think, like you said, there was your heart and your head and your head is thinking, of course, women can't learn too much about Jesus. But I'm confident there is a gal listening who something resonated in her thinking, oh, I think I've been believing that. I think I've been believing that I need to to kind of hold it back a little bit. Let men lead, right? Mm-hmm. Let men mm-hmm. lead spiritually in our home. Let men lead spiritually in the church. And so in order to do that... I need to hold back a little bit so that they have space to lead, right? I think I've heard that before. If your husband isn't leading spiritually, it may be that you are overstepping and you need to pull back so that he has space to lead. Have you ever heard that one? Yes, sister. (laughs) (laughs) So what would you say? Because, I mean, I'm sure there's someone listening right now and be like, what's wrong with that? I mean, the greatest commandment says we have to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and all of it. And it's the priority. It's the priority over anyone's role in our home. And I mean, we have to be all in for Jesus. We can't let our fears, our insecurities, our roles, our titles, or anything to do with our spouses, our families impede our progress to learn about Jesus. We can't. I mean, and I think we feel that tension of, gosh, it sounds right. I do need to let men lead, but what, for whatever reason, there's a, but after that, like, but you know, this, that, and the other is happening. And what I would encourage that woman with is, I mean, you are going to be held accountable when we get to heaven about what we did with our knowledge of God Mm -hmm. and our children, our society, our academia, like everybody needs us to be all in for Jesus. And the end of the day, Jesus tells us to do that. And so if we have to prioritize my husband's leadership role over Jesus's commandment to love him, we, we have to choose Jesus. And um, I don't think it's really an either or. I think maybe our we just get a little wacky about how we communicate this to women and to men. But there's no part of us that when we're pursuing God wholeheartedly that takes away. This is not a zero-sum game for the genders. So it's not like if men aren't leading, women will, or if women are leading, men won't. You know, we go, if you go back to Genesis chapter one, we were both created in the image of God. We were both asked to steward the garden and take care of it, to cultivate it. It wasn't until after the fall that we see curses come into play. But even after the curses, Heather, I mean, Genesis is so clear that we're supposed to to rule and multiply and subdue and we're supposed to do it together. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a zero sum game. It's not about one person leading or not. It's about us living completely into our calling our assignment, and what God's given us to do. So good. Hey, y'all jumping in here. For those of you who want a little bit more on that topic, if it's personal for you, if you have found yourself holding back because a spouse is not the spiritual leader, I wanted to point you to a conversation I had with Jen Wilkin a couple years ago and then republished last summer. She shares about being raised by a single mom And what it looks like in her own home for she and her husband to use their unique spiritual gifts and still love God with their whole selves. Uh, She is the Bible teacher in their home because that is the gifting God has given her. And her husband leads in service. And so it was freeing to me. It was really helpful to me. And I wanted you all to know about it. So you can go to don'tmomalone.com and search for Jen Wilkin, or you can go to the show notes and I have a link there. All right. With all that being said, let's get to one of this month's sponsors, FabFitFun. So what is a FabFitFun? Well, when you sign up, they send you this beautiful box filled with full-size beauty, health, fitness, 
lifestyle products. We're talking lotions and masks and scrubs and things for your home. Amazing things that you're not having to go out and figure out what the best is. I am all about someone else doing all the work for me and figuring out the hippest, coolest, cutest, best products and them coming right to my door. The entire box is valued at over $200 and they charge $49.99. As a DMA listener, though, you get $10 off your first box if you use the code DMA10. That's DMA10 to get $10 off your first box over at fabfitfun.com. If you have not checked them out, I highly recommend doing so because, I mean, treat yourself. So often when we have a birthday or Christmas, we're telling other people what to get us. It's really nice to have someone do the shopping for us. So go to fabfitfun.com, use that code DMA10 to sign up for your first subscription box. All right, let's get back to my chat with Kat. Here we go. I agree 100%. How are you feeling as this book releases and do you feel fear or anticipate resistance from certain groups or people misunderstanding your heart about this? Is there any, you know, whenever you put a message out, there's always this little bit that the enemy tries to lie in your mind. Yeah, I'm not scared. I'm terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, you're like, do you have any fears? I'm like, what fears do I not have? Which one do we want to talk about right now? Yeah, it's yeah, no, it's a daily mental battle for me. Thank goodness I'm back in therapy to process my father's grief, because at the same time, I can say I'm I, well, as an Enneagram eight, the vulnerability part is challenging for me. I've had to do a lot of work to get to a place where I can entrust my story to someone else mm-hmm. and know that I might get hurt because of that. And I think Enneagram eights usually pull away. And I, I always joke with Lindsay Benedetto, my partner in crime at Polished. I'm like, I don't want to be dead inside, you know, <laughs> and a lot of, a lot of eights can sometimes lean that way. Um, So yeah, vulnerability is already hard for me, number one. Number two, people are going to know the inner workings of my brain. And the truth is, I'm not sure I'm right about everything. I'm still in in process myself. Um, And so I consulted Dr. Glenn Kreider at Dallas Seminary. I got the endorsement of Dr. Dale Bach at Dallas Theological Seminary. I, I was reaching out to experts in their field saying, would you double and triple check my work and make sure that I am grounded theologically. I am an evangelical conservative Christian. That's, that's who I am. And I'm, I'm not shy about it. I do sense that I am supposed to challenge some of the norms that we have when it comes to gender in the church. And it's not about usurping power. I have no desire to be on church staff. I am not ordained. It's not anything about that. But I do think we have to challenge some of the norms like I said, I don't think we've done enough to dignify women as image bearers of God. And I think collectively we're seeing that in society. You look at the church too and me too, and all these movements that are giving voice to women's struggles and our brothers in Christ are going, this isn't okay. We don't want our sisters to be treated like this. Like, what can we do? And so I I do feel really apprehensive about saying things are not the way they should be and we need to change and we need to do better. And in some ways, I'm I'm not completely sure how to do that. But yeah, I, I'm sure I'll get pushed back. I can't even imagine. I'm just going to hide. I'm going to go into hiding. <laughs> Stop. No, no. You're, you're, <laughs> we have your back. And um, I'm just thinking that the enemy always loves to divide, right? And he wants to create. And I know there are labels for different views theologically on women in the church. And we're not even going to throw them out there and give them even any acknowledgement. Because I don't feel like that's what your conversation is about. I don't feel like you said your goal is to talk about where women should be on staff in a church. I think your goal is is to do some work that needs to be done before we even get to that. That's not even mm-hmm. what this is about. Yeah, that's not my role. That's not my role to play in the church body. Maybe someone else's and that's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to cheer them on. But yeah, my role is to challenge women to love God more and to not hold back. And I feel like so many women are thinking to themselves, well, I'm too ambitious or I'm too quiet or I'm too whatever that word is. And to fully embrace God made me this way. How can I purposely live into that and give back to my church, give back to my family? How can I do that well? And I also am here to challenge some of the ways we think about, you know, just like that guy in the seminary class, like women can't learn too much about Jesus. And we need to like, that needs to be pretty basic level that we can all agree on that. We may not agree what 
women should do in the church or what role they should play or title they should have. But we can agree that women learning about Jesus is always a good thing. And that women who are ambitious leaders, they can be awesome servants of Jesus, you know, and women who are super strong, you know, like the strong quote, strong woman can be submissive. You can be submissive and strong at the same time because Jesus was submissive to the father by dying on the cross, but he, he didn't like let go of any of his strength. He wasn't passively participating in that. I mean, he was intent on going to the cross for our behalf. So I challenge a lot of things like that in the book and hope that no matter where someone is on a theological spectrum, they finish the book and they go, I want to do more for Jesus. And I also want to equip them with doing more for Jesus doesn't mean you have to be be more or get more education or sign up for more things. It just means you have to be more invested where you are. Like you said, using your not just your heart, where women often get delegated, but your mind and your strength in your position that you are. So for the young mom listening, you aren't saying she needs to take on three different new ministries and lead a Bible study <laughs> of 50 people, that that's loving God with her whole mind, her heart, her strength. What would you want to say to her as a message, one, with some barriers she might see, and two, how she can love God fully? Yes, I'm so glad you asked me this, Heather. Okay, so our last podcast episode you know, we talked about the great commandment in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. And that is a lot of what the book is about. But I want to take this opportunity to say, if you're a young mom struggling with, okay, so I do want to love God more, but what does that look like? I have really good news. You don't have to have a lot to offer God for it to be a meaningful contribution to the body of Christ. And let me explain what I mean. So right after Jesus is approached by the scribe in Mark chapter 12 and the scribe says, you know, what's the most important thing for a Christian to do? And God says, love God and love others. And right after that, Jesus is talking to the same group of people in the temple, same place, same time, same audience, but he moves, he moves the conversation out to the court of women. And that's in the temple in the Old Testament. The court of women is where they put the donation receptacles. Like I think the donation plate at your church, mm -hmm. they put it in that part so that when you exited the temple, it was on your way out and women were further out from the Holy of Holies. And so he moves the conversation and he points to a widow who, you know, widows in that society and still today a little bit in first century Judaism, a widow meant nothing. She yeah. had no value, no purpose, no dignity, no means, no rights. She meant nothing in society. So she was poor. She could not advocate for herself. She had no voice. No one cared about her. She was a nobody and a nothing. And Jesus watches her put these two little coins that were very invaluable in their economic system. She puts it in the donation box. And Jesus, right after saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he points to her and he says, that's true discipleship. That widow giving out of her poverty. And he says the words to the disciples, see, see all these rich people with their excess, putting in the more into that box. Look at her and her less and her nothing. She just made an offering and Jesus counts it as valuable. He says, that's worthy of commending. And so she's essentially the illustration to his commandment. He says, look at this widow. She's loving God with her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I think it's a it's a message for us that we can give from our nothingness. So I tell women all the time, if you have a broken heart, I have a broken heart right now about my dad. It counts. Mm -hmm. I still want to love him with it all. And I don't have to have it all together or healed yet to apply it to the Great Commission. And if you have a weary soul, I mean, just you're weary and you're questioning your faith. You're not sure what you believe. You can give that to God. And he counts it as worthy. If you have a confused mind, if you're struggling with anxiety, depression, decision-making, like things don't make sense in your world, you can give that to God. That can be your all. Because I think we think all means a lot and all means everything. And everything we've got may not be a lot. <laughs> so if we have a weakened strength, like if we think to ourselves, oh, I got to be strong for Jesus and I got to give that, I got to give him my strength. Well, I don't feel really strong right now, Heather. Yeah. And I'm still supposed to give him that. And so in one of my chapters titled, I don't have a lot to offer God, I really explore the concept that if we have a broken heart and a weakened soul and a 
confused mind and weakened strength, we give that anyway. And we know that based on what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12 about the widow, our contribution matters. It matters. When I'm thinking not only what you said, but that it's not waiting until all those things are made right. It's not holding back the barrier being, I'm just going to wait until all this is fixed. I'm going to wait until I'm completely through my grief before I write this book. You didn't wait until the heart was made whole. You didn't wait until, you know, for the person who's dealing with confusion, anxiety, depression, it's not a, well, when I am totally feeling healthy, fine, and joyful, then, you know, it's the service where you are and the giving where you are. I think that's a really valuable message that you're preaching. You know, you're not waiting till it's tied up with a bow. You know, so often blog posts or podcasts are when everything's done. Everything's finished and complete and perfect. So it's good to be in the middle of that and to say, no, even in this poverty of soul poverty, I will give God what I have. Yeah, I think the enemy, the enemy is the one who's telling us we're not enough. We don't have enough. It's not the right time. We got to clean up, shape up, gear up, get more, be ready to serve. I feel like he, the enemy is the one turning up his nose at our schedules, our bank accounts, our emotional strength. Like Satan's the one that's trying to hold us back mm. from giving from what we do have. And we have to remember that Jesus runs his currency on love. Mm. He, it, not on excess, not on more. Jesus runs his economy on the currency of love. And so while you and I may be obsessed with surplus and cheering for people giving out of all the more, Jesus values those of us who are giving out of our emotional and financial poverty. And so we don't, we may not have a lot to offer, but we can give him everything. And with Jesus, it's more than enough. Oh, that's so good. So good. Okay. You talk through all these barriers that are holding women back. How do the barriers Christian women face differ from the ones men don't? Are there barriers that we face that men don't? Like how are, how are there differences? Oh, for sure. I mean, for sure. I mean, all the data right now coming from Barna and all the different Christian places are saying mothers, if they're married, are the primary caregiver in most cases, not all. And that's not to shame or condemn. It's not an indictment. It just is what the statistics are saying. And so, yeah, women have a lot more pressure when it comes to parenting. And I think we see that in how many resources are created and geared towards women and our men folk are just as interested and our engaged parents that are men, they, I mean, they want to be just as involved in parenting. But I think there's a lot of pressure on women to be married and to become mothers, whereas there is not a pressure like that for our brothers in Christ who are mm -hmm. single. A lot of it has to do with biology, too. I mean, there are biological differences between men and women, and women have a biological clock. And so there's that pressure on us. There's society's pressure. And I think, unfortunately, the church universal may have contributed to some of those pressures that we have. So I think women deal more with, is it okay to be a woman and to work, to be a parent, to whatever it is, we're trying to reconcile who we are um, with what the church lifts up and says we should be. So those are really distinct challenges we're having to deal with. And you and I, when we talked last time, talked about the difference between calling and assignment and the calling that you, you said is to go and make disciples and the assignments are the different places we do that. And I was with some women yesterday and they said, what if it feels like your assignments are competing? So if I'm assigned the role of wife and assigned the role of, of mom, but I'm also feeling assigned to a ministry, how do I sort out what seem to be competing assignments. I think that's this barrier you're talking about, that we have so much more in play when it comes to going and making disciples and loving God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yeah. They, we talked so much about Kate Harris's book, Wonder Woman. Yes. And we didn't get to talk about coherence, but that's a term that I've stolen from her. We talked about, I think, integration or something, but coherence is that is exactly what you're talking about, competing priorities in a woman's life and find how to reconcile them. I'll be honest, it's just a challenge. So I feel like if we were to lay out a three-point step process, <laughs> this is how you, you know, reconcile it. It wouldn't be true to life. I mean, it. I don't like the word balance. I don't think it exists. I think when you have competing priorities, you navigate the best you can. And if you're married and you have someone you can process with, it's also a godly spouse 
that's when you go to, you come together and you make a game plan. And if you're a single mom, that's when you go to your trusted friends and your community group at church and you say, I'm trying to sort this out. And I would love some help because even when I wrote this book, you know, I told some family and friends and said, I don't want to do this project. It could be a two to three year process is what they're telling me. And I don't want to get into this project without y'all being really behind it. Mm -hmm. And so for my husband, that has meant a couple of weekends away for me to write. It has meant him picking up Caleb from school on several occasions when I was on the calendar to do it. Um, It's meant spending money on writing classes and it's competing with time with my family, time with my husband, service to my church. It's all competing. But when I came to my family and said, hey, mom, hey, Aaron, I I think I want to do this project. You should have seen them. They were like, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Like, what do we have to do to make this possible? And that's when I was like, whoa, whoa. Okay. I I thought we were going to have more of a conversation. Like, no, you've got to do, we've been Mm. wanting you to do this. This Mm. is totally what the assignment that you have that's next. And so I felt that affirmation. I think a lot of women could be listening in and going, well, I know without a shadow of doubt, God's asking me to do this thing, but I don't think the people in my family are on board. Mm. And, you know, I would challenge and encourage you to pray about timing. Yeah. We feel so rushed in our society that if we don't do it now, we'll lose an opportunity. We're going to miss out. Everyone's going to pass us by. Someone else will write the book. Someone else will do the thing. Yeah. You know what? I just reread Are Women Human by Dorothy Sayers again for the billionth time. She wrote it in the 1930s. It was republished in the 50s, republished again in the 70s. You know, you look at what she wrote. It's only 60 pages long. And you're like, so relevant. We don't miss the opportunities that God has for us. We don't. And timing is real. And we have to, if you are a mother, that's part of the equation. And that's where Kate Harris talks a lot about coherence, that putting the puzzle to be pieces together is really a challenge. But I think once you know you've got puzzle pieces and you bring them to your trusted people and you say, could you help me sort it out? That's really helpful. And then if you don't have that, you can go to the Holy Spirit, our great teacher, mm-hmm. and say, could you affirm some timing? And then as counterintuitive as it feels, you start asking people for permission to do what God has told you to do. And sometimes you have to be that bold when people aren't on board with God's mission in your life to say, hey, I'm asking for your blessing. And, uh, you know, if I can't get it, I still feel like this is we got to sort it out somehow. No ultimatums because we don't do that with family. We don't do it with the people we love. We don't do ultimatums, but we can say, I really want your blessing on this. I I feel convicted. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I think that you'll find by using those words, you can navigate those conversations. Super helpful. Is it? I hope so. It's so confusing. It is not easy. That is why we often just don't do anything. So Mm -hmm. I think having some action step to start, if that is where God's pulling your heart, not because... Everyone on Instagram is telling you you need to do it, but Mm -hmm. because God is telling you to do it, which requires the second half of your book, which is to be loving God with your whole heart, mind, soul, strength. If a gal has realized hearing you talk that she has been holding back, she wants to love God more, she wants to pursue God more, do you have a starting place for her that you can just tell her right now so as she's motivated, inspired, she can take action. Yeah, I would just ask, who is your neighbor? And not physical neighbor, but who do you see on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly? Make a list of those people, male, female, young, old, all the different spheres of influence and go, am I loving my neighbor with all my heart, soul, mind and strength? And is there a way I need to love my neighbor that I don't feel equipped to do it? And that's when we go, oh, you know, I don't know anything about the refugees living in the apartment complex behind my church off of Arapahoe and Hillcrest. And to love God with all of my mind and my strength and to have a heart and a soul for their plight, I need to learn some more. I need to make a phone call. And so I think the first question you ask is, who are my neighbors? Am I loving them well? How could I get better equipped to do that? And sometimes that's the best starting point. I think that's when women realize, oh, I have an assignment that I need to start working on because these are my neighbors. And this is how, I mean, Heather, your podcast is a great example. You have neighbors, metaphysically speaking, uh, that are women who don't want a mom alone. 
and you decided to love that community well, you needed to reach out to women and get them on the podcast and talk about topics that interest them. And so everything you're doing, I see as loving your neighbors well. And you've done a lot of work, right, over the last 250 episodes to better yourself, better the podcast, contextualize it to what women need. You're a prime example of going to the drawing board and going, how could I love my neighbors? I think this aligns with my passions. And so I'm going to go after it. And I'm sure that your podcast looks really different than it did a couple years ago when you started. Yeah. I think that thinking through who are we interacting with on a regular basis, not even just physically, but through the interwebs or um, family or even in passing, if you go to the exact same grocery store every single week and you have the same cashier, we I just had an exercise where we asked God, bring to mind five people that you want me to regularly be praying for a minute each person every day. And just to see when you regularly pray for them, how God orchestrates interactions with them, even if they don't live in your same city. So I think there are ways, simple, simple ways that don't require a lot of time or energy, but reliance on God fully to do his work where we are. So helpful. Okay, so you're running Polish and people can find that online. Polished, uh, I'll put a link to that. What is a website that they can connect with you? Can you just give a shout out? I'll put a link to it, but just say it so that people can Oh, for it. sure. Yeah, they want to go to catarmstrong.com and they want to click on my author page and they can see all about where to pre-order the book and buy it. They can watch a little bit of me share about my heart behind it. But yeah, reach out to me. I, I'm really into Instagram these days. And so if women have questions, I love to engage because I consider you my neighbor. And I want, I want to love you, my Aww. neighbors. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, we appreciate you coming on and being that trailblazer and not holding back. Thanks, Heather. Love you. Thanks, y'all, for listening in to Cat and I's conversation. I would encourage you to get Cat's book. I know, you know, I do have a lot of authors on, but uh, this is a friend of mine and I believe in her words. I believe that she's helping a lot of us get rid of some insecurities and move past some ideologies that have been holding us back from being used fully by God. Like she said, our homes, our communities, the world needs us fully activated into the assignments God has given us. And those don't have to be big assignments. (laughs) Hopefully you've heard me say that enough, that it is whatever God is leading you to do next. That is where you can activate your love fully for him. He doesn't need you to do it in order to earn his love. It's in response to the sacrificial love he showed for you on the cross that motivates us to move and to love him fully. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I come before you, your humble servant who is ready to make space for you to move. I'm ready to let go of insecurity and lies that have been holding back parts of how you created me to be and not walking into the fullness of how I can express your love to those around me. Lord, I pray for each person listening that you would help them become more aware of what lies they're believing and that they would be able to bring those to you and align them with your truth and receive your forgiveness and move forward and ask you, God, what do you actually say about me? about who I am and what you have for me, how I am made in your image and the role that you want me to play in this world to bring heaven here, to make disciples, to multiply. I pray for any heartaches that I've experienced this year that are stealing faith, Lord. We know that the enemy loves to bring doubt into our minds. He is the deceiver and doubt is one of his tricks to keep us from fully believing that you are for us, that all of the heartaches and the hard places feed us the lie that you don't really care and that you really can't help us. I pray, Lord, that you would um, disrupt that lie, that you would be near to the brokenhearted. You would heal those wounds, that you would embolden faith to move fully, to love you fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, um, it's summer. 
I'm taking off the next two weeks. You won't hear a new episode from me, but new uh, re-released, new re-released episodes will come on the show July 15th for six weeks. We'll do the Summer of Mentorship. If you want to lead a group through that, we have Don't Mom Alone podcast clubs. If you go to don'tmomalone.com, you'll see that join club, lead a club, uh, start a club. I think that's what it says, start a club. And there's more information there where you can sign up. Uh, We give you the curriculum. We give you all the questions and you just decide who you want to invite, where you want to meet. It could be one friend at a coffee shop and you discuss the podcast together. So we help you support through that. We have some new guides we're releasing with that, um, guidelines for the group, guidelines as a leader, and just stay tuned. July 15th, I'll be making an announcement about our event, our live event, actually a mom, Kate Duff, who leads five podcast clubs she started here in the Dallas area. She's going to host our live event uh, in late August. So stay tuned on that. The date will be August 23rd, if you want to mark that in your calendars. And the tickets will go live July 15th when I come back with the Summer of Mentorship. Okay. Thanks y'all for listening. Have a great summer. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.